Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Starwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Chris, before we get to our front page, I want to give a shout out to Robbie, who is, I believe, a senior. Yes, a senior at UNC Chapel Hill, who wrote us the nicest note. Where did he write? Where did he write us? He wrote us at, guys, do you have a pen and a get pad ready. of paper? Get ready. Do you have notes open on your iPhone? <laughs> wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That is wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. So Robbie wrote saying he likes the podcast and drawing our attention to a Wall Street Journal article on a generation of men giving up on college. My favorite, though, was Robbie. Or is he? Is it Robbie? Or let's see. I see his signature Robert. Uh, Robbie. Okay. All right. He says, though he doesn't know me. He can't help hearing his father and everything that I say, which I thought was like the best backhanded compliment no. ever. Robbie, you sound like a future Washington Free Beacon reporter. Read read what else Robbie said about you. Please shoot us a note if you are interested. He said let, that his father is a no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is person, and he appreciates my counterbalance to Chris's sometimes too nice takes. <laughs> and he praised you as a what, strong woman, a powerful woman. A... Bold. And Robbie, let me tell you, you don't know the half of it. You don't know the half of it. Chris, he also says he followed your work closely at Fox and is happy you're now on to bigger and better things. So, you know, well, cheers to that. And I would just say first thanks, Robbie. But also I would say write us with your suggestions as Robbie did. Please do. But also you got to spread the news about the news, right? You got to tell people about Ink Stained Wretches, encourage them to download it, uh, review us. I know every, every podcast says this, but we're in our beginning phase here. So I would just encourage you to not keep your light under a uh, bushel or as we would say in West Virginia, a bushel. And yes, and if you want to give, if you need an option to give like five stars for me and two stars for Chris. Oh boy. Let us know and we'll try to we'll try to talk to see iTunes what, about see that. See what I mean, Robbie? Yeah. All right. All right. Up on our front page this week. These are the stories that we thought were most important. Chris, my first is something that was not a story, but that should have been a story. And we often I think talk about how the media overstates its power and yes like loves to talk about and revel in its own power. I think this is a case where the media could make an enormous difference in terms of the political narrative and like political awareness of people in this country. And it's choosing not to, which is we have an actual hostage crisis in Afghanistan with probably about a thousand American residents. So the U.S. has no idea how many right. uh, are in there. So the State Department spokesman Ned Price told reporters on Wednesday that the government has, quote, pulled every lever available, but that the Taliban is still blocking flights with Americans from leaving Masri Sharif Airport, uh, a.k.a. if the media wanted to put the headline on it and have wall to wall cable news co uh, coverage. We have a hostage crisis in which the Taliban is holding Americans as it makes demands on the Biden administration. The um, I assume and you are much better read on this subject than I am. I assume that these folks or a lot of these these 
estimated thousand uh, folks are U.S. citizens or dual U.S. citizens, probably not residents. Is that probably right? I think they're both. Some are some are residents, and but again, it's not like anyone yeah, yeah, yeah. knows. But yes, we know that hundreds of them, or maybe the, the number never seems to go too far from a hundred. And yes, they have no idea. But I think yes, many of them are U.S. citizens. The the problem for me here is the credulity of the press in accepting what the Biden administration says after having demonstrated very limited knowledge and working knowledge, not surprisingly because we gave up our access to intelligence in Afghanistan, that they don't know. And that when they speak with certitude about these things or any certitude, the fact that I understand that it's sort of like, where else are you going to get information but from the government? But the degree of credulity with which the press has accepted the statements of the Biden administration on this stuff are crazy. In this case, the statements of the Biden administration are telling them there is a hostage crisis. Yeah. And they are not even taking the next step, which is translating the euphemisms used by the Biden administration and every other administration into uh, the way regular people talk, which is the Taliban is holding Americans hostage. And because... It's not a clean hit for Democrats or Republicans. It doesn't neatly fall into the space where, put it this way, if Donald Trump had not laid out the plan for the withdrawal, I think you would see Fox and right media treating this differently than you do. So since it's not a clean hit for either side, and it is in fact the kind of story that we should count on a a responsible press to cover in a full-throated way, but because it is that kind of story and more nuanced, it doesn't fit well into the TV narrative, certainly. Up next, oh, these are yours, Chris, over to you. Well, I just, I, I note that, speaking of how hard it is to do TV, that Fox Nation, which is the streaming service that Fox, it's the, it's the, it's the 401k for Fox News. It is their, their future plan that they have. I had a show on it. It's the future plan that they have for getting subscriptions, because as we know, we're going to go through what I call the wormhole as cable news dies over the next five, 10 years, that subscription-based services are going to be are currently the plan for big media to make it through. You can't sell enough my pillows to make $2 billion a year. So that the Fox Nation is doing something, I think, which is smart. It's though there's we can talk about some of the journalistic considerations around this, but everybody over 35, I assume, remembers the show Cops, which started with the reggae song, Bad Boys, Bad Boys, What You Gonna Do When They Come For You. They're rebooting it and they're making it just streaming only. Now, COPS is of a category with, uh, there's called, I think it's called like Rescue 911 or whatever, which that one is live, right? It's like 911 Live. I forget what the name of it is. It's of a category of shows that are not keeping up with the times, not in tune with the times. Well, they are shows, though, in which... The I think it's the McCormick effect is the uh, sociological version of the Heisenberg effect in science, which is to say people who know that they're being observed act differently. And embedding cameras with police encourages some not good stuff. Now, it may cause police to act better and nicer than they would if they weren't being filmed. But this is not journalism. And it uses journalism as the pretext to do it. But when you have... When this is being done. Oh, I don't even think it's using journalism as a pretext. I mean, are there many people watching Fox News primetime that thinks this is journalism? I thought this was smart because this is like a popular show that kind of got run out of TV. And it's uh, it's it's like culturally very Fox. But I don't think people think this is journalism. 
Well, it's good if they don't, because it ain't. But I, I have, I do have serious reservations about shows like Cops and the 911 live shows that encourage performative action and exploit human suffering in this way. Well, surely it won't be a, a quality any less than what we see in the primetime hours on Fox right now. Your next item is Fox too, Chris. How how much Fox is in the head of the Biden White House and how often Fox is used as a stand-in by the White House for the Republican Party, which is this uh, that the White House is I would say it's not tongue in cheek. It's it's it, it's backhanded compliment for a vaccine mandate for Fox employees. And it is one of these things where it's like, oh, yeah, well, your host, your people are being critical of the president's vaccine mandate. So Fox, we got to tell the listeners, if they don't know, Fox has a vaccine manda- mandate and or mandatory testing for employees. Yeah. Right? OK. Because they're because so. they're because they're smart business people and they know and they're also they have an HR department that says you can't force people to be at work. And not do something like this. You can't. It, you can have work from home, but you can't say we insist that you come to work as a condition of your job. But whatever, go lick the donuts in the break room and don't be vaccinated or whatever. Right? You can't. Do, you can't do both. And of course, so this is the correct thing for Fox to do. And the Biden administration is trying to point it out. And I would only say that it further points to the incoherence of the Biden administration's uh, plan on vaccine mandates. They understand that as the president, as the chief executive of a, a of an employer, can insist that his that the employees of the federal government be vaccinated. Further, he can also insist that contractors who wish to do business with the government or hospitals that want to take federal funds have to have their people vaccinated. But then takes the next step of, oh, yeah, well, we'll just insist that employers be our handmaidens for executing this, and they're trying to drag Fox into this. So I just thought that was worth. Uh, well, I like it. I, frankly, I like this move on the Biden administration's part because it's like uh, it's like twisting the knife on Fox, which is to be like, you guys have these crazy hosts, but you guys, but you're total hypocrites, and or the hosts don't listen to you, or it's kind of like picking at the scab of the gulf between the Fox hosts and Fox management. And I, I like you mean it. You mean like the fact that in Australia now they're pushing for a version of Section 230 to be implemented in Australia to protect the comment sections on their websites yeah. while their hosts rail against Section yeah, 230 in the United States? But, but you know, accessible to a normal person on the street. Yeah. That's the only difference between well, my example wh- and your example. What, what are we, Eliana, but relatable? What are, yeah. what are we but just a couple of average Joes sitting around talking about stuff? All right, Chris, we're on to the op-ed section of our front page uh, we both we both were freaking out about not freaking out but you know enjoying reveling in the crappy op-eds featured in the nation's leading newspapers chris what's yours well i have to i i hate i hate picking on max boot at the washington post so much but he does address he does speak to a serious problem that left or center left or mainstream, whatever you want to call it, media has about talking about conservatives. So, and this is sort of the MSNBC model, where you bring self-loathing conservatives on television to have them talk about how terrible conservatives are. And, you know, Jen Rubin, at the Post also has her, but there, there's this there's this subset, we'll call them Morning Joe conservatives, who... That's a really good category. Where it's like... You're you're one of them. Absolutely not. That you is are, absolutely oh my God. A false accusation. You're, you know what? We were just talking this week about how 
one of my obsessions has to be Chris is a lib, and then we're going to do a montage <sighs> of like Chris's biggest lib moments. But this is why you're a mo- I'm, Morning I'm, Joe conservative. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have never been on Morning Joe. You worked for let's to be clear. Worked you worked Hannity. for you worked for Politico and worked, CNN. Oh, but I also worked for Sean Hannity. Yeah, and I also worked for Fox News and the Washington Examiner. I am more conservative than you are, madam. I would I would maintain. And is there like an issue that you would point to? I don't know. We can do we we can devote Let's a whole have, We should totally have a conservative conservative off. We can we can on like various issues. We we should set a date. We should set a date certain in the future. Who is more conservative? And I, I will. I will we'll go down defending the Texas legislature. <laughs> well, not, not me, <laughs> not not me, because I'm he a conservative. Does some good stuff. Not me, because okay. I'm conservative. Uh, uh, all right, Max Boot. Max Boot. So Max Boot has made a second career. So Max Boot made a first career out of currying favor with conservatives. He wrote a book about out of control liberal judges. He then leaned heavily into a a hawkish foreign policy and he did all of this stuff. And then after Donald Trump, he said that that like uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, the scales fell from his eyes and he found out that conservatives were really bigoted, racist, terrible people, blottity, blottity, blottity. So he has, and we've talked about it before, but he wrote this piece in the Washington Post. And it's, and I know you got to grind out a column. I grind them out too. I understand you got to write, you got to write something, but here's the piece is from, let's see, we're recording Friday because of the Jewish holiday yesterday, which we usually record. I hope you had an easy fast. Thank you. I did not fast because I am pregnant. True. true, Uh, true, true. So my husband had a difficult fast and (laughs) I had the easiest in recent memory as it did not exist. But uh, so this was Tuesday. Yeah. So his piece, why can't our political system address our biggest problems? Question mark. Blame the founders. Oh, I see. I see. So the founding is the problem. I, I understand. The founding is the problem. It's and the it, problem of the columns about like why so many Americans have died of COVID. So you and, know, and it, go, and it goes, George Washington's fault, basically. But it, what it does is it goes on to do what people left and right and everybody does all the time to say, if only we were an authoritarian regime, if only we could be like, and he, and uh, the, the line that I will, look at Canada, he says, it's COVID-19 death rate is one third of ours and its vaccination rate is 12 percentage points higher. We have a uniquely dysfunctional political system and it's not clear that it can be fixed. Boo, hiss, boo. Why do you think Canada is better vaccinated than the United States? It's full of freaking Canadians who like to follow the rules, who are polite and obliging. I think Max Boot needs to go and spend some time in Appalachia and go through and meet people who are like, why won't I do this? Because you want me to. That is a good enough reason for many Americans not to do something is simply because you tell them to do it. And Max Boot's willful failure to understand the nature of the American people, the complexities of government, and on, by the way, on the week of Constitution Day, happy Constitution Day, America, to go and wipe your tushy with the greatest miracle in the organization of human affairs in in world history. To do that is, I mean, I, I he regrets ever being a conservative. I regret ever taking him serious. The only thing I have to say about Max, that was that was good. Well, I don't agree with him on a lot of things. He worked in the office next door to mine back in the days when I worked at 
you know, a respectable institution at the Council on Foreign Relations. I'm and the, I was, just, just for the record, remember, I'm the lib. Yes. So I worked at the Council. <laughs> well, before I went to the Council on Foreign Relations, my New York son boss, Seth yeah, Lipsky, said, you know that it's a red organization. Nope. But anyways, Max was in the office next door. He was so nice to me. I was fresh out of college and really clueless. And I still remember he took me to lunch on my last day. And so, hey, Max, I, I have not forgotten your gentlemanliness um, sure back when I was young, and I'm sure clueless. he's a peach of a guy. I, I don't I don't wish any bad thing for him, but that is that is horse hockey. Mine was the New York Times mm. featuring mm. a woman who hasn't been in the headlines for like a, a decade, maybe Ellen Pow, who was the CEO of Reddit, and before that was at the big venture capital, I guess venture capital from Kleiner Perkins out mm-hmm. in Palo Alto mm-hmm. on the Elizabeth Holmes trial, and her argument is. Let me just read you guys the headline. The Elizabeth Holmes trial is a wake-up call for sexism in tech. Now, Ellen Pow, she now runs some kind of, like, diversity inclusion organization, but she sued Kleiner Perkins for sexual harassment, I believe arguing that she wasn't promoted because she's a woman and da-da-da, and she was unsuccessful. But she basically says it's not really that Elizabeth Holmes is a victim of sexism, but that other people should be prosecuted too and that men haven't been prosecuted basically because they're men and my favorite sentence in it was this one how about the genocide incited on facebook in myanmar or its engagement centric approach that led to the proliferation of anti-vaccination propaganda on the platform. Neither Mr. Kalanick, referring to the former CEO of Uber, nor Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Facebook CEO, has faced any significant legal consequences. It's like, these things are not crimes. You know, maybe you would like them to me. Maybe you would want Congress to say that allowing anti-vax propaganda on your platform is a crime. Maybe you want them to say that allowing this stuff about genocide in Myanmar is a crime. But I don't think those are very good examples of men not being uh, prosecuted for criminal activity as opposed to Elizabeth Holmes being singled out for defrauding investors. And actually, one thing I didn't think that she acknowledged, which is one thing I think people don't want to acknowledge, is Elizabeth Holmes had on her board some very influential men, Henry Kissinger, George Shultz. And I do think there was like a real eagerness to invest in a woman and to see a woman rise in the ranks of tech and that these doddering old men may have overlooked some of the details here or been more willing to believe the lies she was telling them because they wanted to see a woman rise. Right. Gender is part of the story, but it is a more complicated part of the story than people want to admit. It is a, it, it's like when we the great example of Hillary Clinton. Did Hillary Clinton lose votes because she was a woman? Absolutely. Did Hillary Clinton gain votes because she was a woman? Absolutely. It's just complicated and stuff is hard and it's hard to fit into a goofball column like this, what struck me was she she was she kept saying, whatever it has to be gender. Why else would these people not be punished and she is being punished? I can't figure it out. Because they're else could it better be? crooks than she was. No, it's that they made money for their investors. Yeah. And it occurs to me with her, and it occurs to me with a whole category of the people in Silicon Valley and all of this stuff, that they, of course, fail to understand the good works come after the profits. You have to make money before you can do good works with the money. It's starting out to, to – this is not a dorm room. And her – her whole thing here. Why is why was Travis Kalanick? What's his, what's how's his last name pronounced from Uber? Kalanick, I think. 
Kalanick. She also goes after the guy from Jewel. Uh, and, and the WeWork guy, it's like, oh, yeah, I wish that I was the WeWork guy who, like, came crashing down and there have been a million articles about what a s- crazy psycho he is. But she, but, but for a woman who started out in venture capital, I think it's good that she's moved to the nonprofit world <laughs> because very clearly— You belong she, with us, right, lady. Exactly. It's very, it's very we, clear. We know one of our kind when we exactly. see her. Exactly. It's very clear she has a, a campus mentality about— Ellen, send me a resume. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. After the jump, Wait, Chris. You got, oh, oh, you I, skipped, I skipped yours. Sorry, sorry. Well, it's not mine. It's I mean, it's America's. Uh, and just, <laughs> just to just to point out, truth. This is so American. Just to point out that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's stunt at the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art gala, which is a big costume ball that the elite of New York have every year. They didn't have it last year because of the Rona. And this year they did a huge thing. So Alexandria Cortez wears a white dress that was favorably compared to a Chick-fil-A bag, the writing on a Chick-fil-A bag, a white dress with red written on her posterior that said tax the rich. And, of course, my first thought went to Tom Wolfe and Radical Chic and Mau Mauing the Flat Catchers about how much these society people love to make doyens out of the radical, these people who are saying this stuff. And on the one hand, I'm sorry for the socialists that their methods are so easily co-opted, that so easily it's like, oh, aren't you darling? Aren't you adorable? And that all that stuff. But on the other hand, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez continues to be one of the most formidable media manipulators of our era. She is very good at this. She understands how it works. When you see her running for president at whatever point, if she becomes president at whatever point, it will be because that she is even better than Donald Trump. I was going to say, you know, she... People who say Trump's a moron, Trump's an idiot, it's like, you know, no, he, he's got like a skill and some kind of genius. Right. The same as with AOC, like, okay, she's not a historian, but no, she's, she's got a skill. She's canny, right? And she understands. And she's, she's good looking. And she, I know you can't say that, but clearly it helps. Uh, the, uh, the, if I forget the person who said, uh, but I wish I would have thought of it, that the closer that she was getting to something, it was the one more button on her blouse seemed to seemed to go to one more button undone. Uh, she understands the power of sexu- sex and sexuality and all of this stuff. And writing on her booty, it certainly is part of that. But she knows more than that how to that this would get tons of attention on right media as outrage, outrage, outrage over this. And it would also generate a lot of plaudits on the left for sticking it to the man, even when she wasn't sticking it to the man and all of that stuff. So this is actually the perfect Fox story because it's like, look at this outrageous right. thing a lib did, but also graphic of a hot woman. Right. Here's here's an, here's Fox an attractive content. here's an attractive woman in a tight dress calling yeah. attention to her backside and aren't the so you can hate elites. You can hate socialists. But you get to look at AOC. But you get to look at AOC. All right, Chris, it is time for our Obsessions of the Week. Where we break down stories that we can't get out of our heads. That was a kind of a long windup. It's funny. You know, the weeks I think, oh, we don't have that much to talk about. We actually end up having a ton to talk about. It's kind of like. Yeah, it's like when you go to therapy, you think you don't have anything to say. For <laughs> what, those of you. What, what do you think this is? For this my is therapy. sisters out there. Anyway, so... <laughs> We have a our first ever joint obsession this week, which is the Bob Woodward, Bob Costa forthcoming book excerpted in all the newspapers of how Mark Milley handled Mark Milley, chairman and joint chiefs of staff, handled the end of the Trump administration and his alleged 
phone calls to a top Chinese general and what he did or did not tell this Chinese general. I want to say at the outset that we do not know what happened in these phone calls. Can, can we read just a, a snippet of this here? Yeah, yeah, I have it here. Okay. So they, they write that in a pair of secret phone calls, General Mark A. Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, assured his Chinese counterpart, and uh, let's put this in time one was before the 2020 election on october 30th the other day the other was after the january 6th riot on january 8th so millie assured his chinese counterpart whose name i am not going to attempt to pronounce of the people's uh, liberation army that the united states would not strike according to a new book by washington post associate editor bob woodward and national political reporter robert costa i think the most explosive thing they reported chris was that millie assured this general that if the u.s were to attack he would give him advance notice right and they quote him as if they know exactly what he said like they have a transcript General Lee, I want to assure you that the American government is stable and everything is going to be okay. We are not going to attack or conduct any kind of kinetic operations against you. And then later, General Lee, you and I have known each other for five years now. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. So Chris and I had very, not surprisingly, Chris and I had very different takes on this. Chris, I agree. I... What, w- let's start with yours, though. What was your, what would upset you about Well, for, this? first, can we hear the... If what Millie said, or if what Costa and Woodward allege to be true is true, then Millie should be removed, and that's the totally inappropriate. That would be a totally inappropriate action. And we do not – the military is subordinate to civilian authority. That is a cardinal constitutional precept of our republic that the military cannot freelance. And if what they say is true, and the way that they say it is true – then Millie should be removed, and it would be very serious business. But let's hear first what the how quickly, because Millie was acting against Trump, and the framing of the article is that Millie was acting against Trump. Here's how well, Millie thought Trump was crazy, which is another aspect that I want to get you that he had, that he had a, suffered a mental decline in the last. And by know, and by, and by the way, if Millie had gone to the Speaker of the House, the majority leader, the leaders in the Senate, gone to Mike Pence, there's any number of people that Millie could have gone to and said. I'm talking to this guy, and he is. Yeah, the Constitution does provide ways yeah, to cuckoo. deal with this well, that, ju- that we've heard so much about in the past but, five years. But just good, good common sense would say that you would go to if you really thought the president was unstable and might launch an attack on China to try to hold power. And I'm not saying that Millie didn't, that Trump didn't give everybody the willies in those days. It was a very weird time, and the president acting very strangely that he wouldn't have been within his rights to do those things. But listen to how quickly the defense of Millie came about this stuff. It was somehow portrayed as Millie saying to China, hey, if we're going to attack you, I'm going to tell you first. That, that's not what happened here. He, he was concerned that China thought that the U.S. was going to attack them and was, was trying to pursue some de-escalation in the background. Millie did what he did with the consent of Trump's Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper. So much for Millie going rogue. I mean, even as you saw that there were concerns from Millie and others, they were trying to cover for what they saw was a, as Millie saw it, a decline in the mental state of the president. Politicizing intelligence, repelling professionals from the national security establishment, and trying to extort a foreign leader. Why are we, why does Mark Milley need to be defended today? The White House is defending chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, against calls from some Republicans to charge him with treason. Oh, what idiots. 
So first they're uh, accepting the premise that it happened, which I do not, and then they rush to contextualize it or make it okay. So this was totally my obsession was there are, like, I concede there's another side that is not our side of this, which is if this happened as they write, he should be removed. But they're not like, wow, this is really controversial and complicated. On the one hand, this is... Like, this is the norms crowd, remember? Like, this is a real breaking of a norm right. that has, like, been a cornerstone of the constitutional system for 200 years. No, we don't hear that. It's just why he was right to do this. And uh, Peter Baker told Andrea Mitchell, uh, this is what we want our generals to do to make sure we don't get into a conflict by accident. It wasn't a, co- a contradiction to the president's policy. In theory, this was carrying out the president's policy. We actually have no idea because, like, we don't really know what Trump's... Well, policy was well let, let's let's now hear what right media did with the same story and again remember the premise here is they're accepting as true what woodward and costa reported let's hear let's hear the the spittle flinging so according to this account our country's top defense official secretly colluded with our chief military rival to undercut the elected president of the united states how would you describe that Deep state is not strong enough. That's treason. It is a crime. Horsewhip Mark Milley, cashier him out of the army and put him in the brig. He is a disgrace to the uniform of the United States Army. Mark Milley has never done anything remotely successful in his entire life except being able to knock out four extra large pizzas from Domino's. It, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's illegal, it's immoral, and it's unethical. And Mark Milley should should be immediately, immediately uh, told to drop his stars and and uh, he should be resigning in disgrace, if not completely fired and publicly. OK, so smooth move, guys. So both sides accept as true that this is the case and that he should be disemboweled or whatever, uh, or he should be put on Mount Rushmore. What all of this for And here's my obsession. My obsession in all of this is. This is reckless, 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 unnecessary use of anonymous sourcing. This is, we have a sickness. When Bob Woodward was an entrepreneur of using anonymous sourcing to bring down Richard Nixon, the argument was the president was concealing crimes from the American people and that the only way to get around that was to allow people to have anonymity. Mark Felt, shout out to Deep Throat, but that that you could grant an individual anonymity to tell of a crime so monstrous and to tell of of misdeeds so great when when the president himself was evidently punishing people and acting out against people who were threatening him. That has now slid to, I heard from a guy who heard a thing that would be good in a book. And what Costa and Woodward have done in this book, and Woodward has been sliding this way for a long time, he, he he has dined out on his old reputation from the old days, and just for people who don't know, the way that they, the way that Woodward churns out these useless books is he's like a prosecutor talking to two defendants. He gets the he gets the one guy in the room and he says, "Hey, look, 
your buddy just told me that you guys broke into the liquor store and that you were the one with the crowbar who threatened to bust the guy's head open. Unless you tell me otherwise, you're going to do the rap. Do you want to talk or not? So all they need is one anonymous source to start dishing dirt in a self-flattering way against other people and then says, if you don't play ball and talk to me off the record, or if you don't talk to me anonymously too. So they spin a whole yarn out of this crap. And then, and then... It goes and does exactly what they wanted it to do, which is it incites the left and the right with stuff that. Well, they, everyone's talking about their books. So. Exactly, and yeah, it's yeah, and it's sell, and it's selling books, but it's denigrate. It is weakening our republic. So this is all right. Reckless, profit-oriented garbage. Let's get to where I don't agree with you. Okay, where I don't agree with you is, okay, this is ostensibly anonymous sourcing, but obviously Millie is the source of this. How do you know? I I strongly believe. That Millie is the source of this because, uh, you know, the two takes are if it's inaccurate, Millie exaggerated if it, his own role in all right. of this. If it's accurate, Millie wanted to come across as savior of the republic. I don't see. I, I just, of course, I'm I'm convinced this is not rocket science. My, it's my reporter intuition, Chris. The obviously whoever shared this was interested in, and well how about this they certainly cast it in the light most favorable to Millie there's no question about that and this is and Millie certainly has some there there is evidence based on the fawning response to some of Millie's correct responses to Trump's actions like the Lafayette Park stuff that the, that maybe it I, I certainly am open to the possibility that you're right that this is him trying to cultivate this reputation. It's also possible that somebody was doing this for him on his behalf. It's also possible that he exaggerated to a person and then that person That's told true. That's, that that that, he, is, that that is also possible. That he that he that Millie he, had a dumb friend. Yeah. Who or a staffer his... Yeah, a staffer who was trying to help Millie thought this would be good for him, repeated a story, lacked context or whatever. Not until today do we read this Friday that Josh Rogan at the Washington Post reports on this of his colleagues and says, eh, not so sure, guys, not so sure about this and the exaggeration and all the stuff. Anonymous sourcing, you know this is my obsession, anonymous sourcing is out of control. It's hurting us and it's making things worse. Bob Woodward bears a lot of personal responsibility for this over time. Bob Costa is joining him in this. It's not a good thing. The other thing that struck me as funny in this is it it flies in the face of Trump's, like those of us who cover Trump, he never wanted to use the military. You know, Iran blew up a tanker and he did not want to retaliate. He was really reluctant. And so apparently, you know, as Peter Baker says, he was trying to prevent an accidental, a misunderstanding, this or that. Uh, because the Chinese got intelligence that said Trump was going to attack. If the Chinese are getting such bad intelligence, I'm really happy about that. If their intelligence told them, like, Trump was about to bomb Beijing, that's wonderful. It gives me a lot of confidence in our ability to prevail over China. But I don't I, I don't quite think that's what I'm, happened here. I'm more, I'm, I'm more concerned about China than I am about – I'd be more concerned about – because China is heading for a very weird space internationally. And by the way – not germane to though the greatest New York Times headline of the week was that France canceled a scheduled gala. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, this is the most French thing ever. Uh, totally. France totally. Uh, has a canceled a uh, gala in Washington. Uh, no because, foie gras for you. Because the United States is uh, giving a uh, nuclear submarine technology yeah. to Australia. Oh, ho, 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 ho. So they cancel the party, and I'm like, the most French thing ever. And then even more French, you 
find out later that the reason that they're upset is not because of Greenpeace, nuclear, blah, 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 but because it cut a French contract uh, that they had. So this uh, this is a Frenchman's paradise in every way. And by the way, they do have the best parties. So, you know, I, the, the, it wasn't for nothing. But lo- long story short, I think here that it would be reasonable for Mark Milley as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to want to telegraph solidity and normalcy in the United States at a chaotic time. But we'll never know the story. We'll never, Until ever know the story. testifies. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh which reminds me, one that is not on the rundown, but I want to get in quickly. I know we're running long, but I want to get in quickly, which is the New York Times headline. Oh, baby, speaking of testimony, speaking of testimony, the New York Times headline, House panel expands inquiry into climate disinformation by oil oh, giants. Good. How could we forget that one? Holy cannoli. Holy cannoli. The idea, so the idea is, so uh, somebody from Greenpeace in England surreptitiously taped and then edited or selectively cut pieces. So this guy posed as a headhunter. Convinced an Exxon executive, a guy in Washington whose office would be close to here, to participate in a kind of a job interview via Zoom. And then they recorded it and got him to say things that certainly taken out of context could sound a little sinister. But of course, if you know any of the history around it, everything he said was normal. In fact, everything that he said was saying, yeah, we used to do things that tried to undermine people who were fighting against global warming. We used to do that. We don't do that anymore. It got spun into a story about how Exxon, that this was some big revelation. There was no revelation in it. And by the way, it's not disinformation to argue with someone. There are multiple points of view about what to do about climate change. There are lots of ideas about what the right way to go is. Doesn't make it disinformation to disagree. And here is the New York Times abetting, actively abetting the House Oversight Committee in calling this, calling lobbying and funding research disinformation. And the word is this, we need a new beat, disinformation watch. Chris, that brings us to that time. It's that time. Chris's favorite time of the week where we say something nice. Here we go. Chris, you're up first. Here in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. I would, I would be remiss if we did not give a shout out to my favorite newsman of the 1990s, Norm MacDonald, who in the most Norm MacDonaldian way kept his battle with cancer, years-long battle with cancer, secret and passed away this week, I think on Tuesday, and how sad it is and how much I loved him on Weekend Update. And Norm MacDonald, as the anchor man on the fake uh, news show on Saturday Night Live, was more of a newsman than a lot of journalists on television. Because Norm MacDonald would tell people what they didn't want to hear. One of his gifts was telling you stuff. And he, in fact, got fired for doing O.J. Simpson jokes at a time when people were trying to get past the fact that O.J. Simpson had probably gotten away with murdering his wife and a waiter from a restaurant that Norm MacDonald just stayed in the space. And the more that they told him not to do it, the more he wanted it to do, wanted to do it. So kudos to him. And I just want uh, listeners to hear this little clip of Norm MacDonald talking about the news. Seems like there's too much news, like, you know, because now they have 24-hour news. Now, when I was a young boy, the news was half a hour. That was the whole news, you know. And a guy would come on and he'd have a tie, you know, and shit, and he would say the news. And it was a half a hour long. Now, it's 24 hours long. Now, it turns out 
that back in the old days when it was only half an hour, they had it about right. That's about all the news there is. <laughs> Even then, there'd always be like a story, some fucking story at the end about a caribou or some horse shit. So there wasn't even enough to fill the half AM. So RIP, Norm, you are missed. My favorite item of the week was, I believe it was yesterday's Politico West Wing playbook, which was about the, oh, let me put it in like uh, professional terms, the... Ah. The symbiotic <laughs> relationship between Jennifer Rubin's articles and Twitter feed and the Biden White House is one of the many strange alliances that, that have emerged in the Biden era where our politics is all jumbled. I, I wrote a piece for Politico magazine on the Kochs, uh, the Biden administration now embracing the Kochs because they're cheering the withdrawal from Afghanistan. So so Politico, ex- a West Wing playbook, examines this and they ask people in the White House, like, what do they think of Jen Rubin? They ask people to post. How do you feel about Jen Rubin being embraced by the White House? And there are a couple, like, a couple journalistic things out of this. So Jen Rubin's response to being asked for comment was uh, to cry sexism. How utterly predictable that Politico would run the zillionth hit piece on a prominent woman, especially one candid in her critiques of Politico's hysterical clickbait style of coverage. Okay, I, Jen. I, I, I don't disagree with her on that last part, but yeah. I mean, okay, Jen. But the other was that Jen... In her response to Politico's request for comment, she wrote this and a lot of other things in an email and put off the record in the subject line. Nice. Uh, now, she's supposedly a journalist, right, and knows that off the record is an agreement between two parties. So the source can say, I would like this to be off the record, and the reporter must then agree, yes, this will be off the record. Uh Sending an email calling someone sexist and simply saying beforehand, this is off the record. And honestly, people do this all the time. And expecting to reporters to abide by it is BS. And Jen, you know better, but but you play dirty, girl. I, I I share you I share with you the shout out for Politico on that one. That was well done. And I would further say that if she should go talk to Max Boot about it, because he'll tell her it's probably the founding fathers' fault. It's I mean probably this is the patriarchy <laughs> that you know when that started. Yeah, exactly. So. That is the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, please email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Inkstained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. <laughs> <laughs>